CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, welcome back to The Mining Pod. On today's show, we are joined by Charlie Matt to go through this week's Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining news. We'd like to thank CleanSpark for making this show possible on the Coindesk Podcast Network. You'll hear from CleanSpark a little bit later in today's episode. Okay, let's jump into today's conversation. Welcome back to the Mining Pod News Roundup. We missed you guys last week. We uh, ended up putting out the Swan interview instead, which I thought was a pretty great episode. Charlie, Matt, as always, welcome to the show. Today, we got some Bitcoin news off the top ropes. Bitcoin price. Don't normally talk about Bitcoin price, but we'll do that to begin the show. Uh, We got a lot of mining news this week. We got heads rolling, got hash rate deploying. We got emergency orders from the feds. And then at the end of the show, we'll finish with some ordinals updates because uh french montana likes his cats so we'll get into that <laughs> let's kick it off with some price action 45k bitcoin corn pretty good sentiment right now okay any thoughts on that before we go over to the ETFs, which i think is the thing we have to talk about in terms of driving price action you guys happy at all this isn't a price show that's good. That's like a great corn. response. People like the corn. I'm happy for that. But this isn't a price show. At one point, do we start, do we like stop, you know, identifying imported price levels? You know, is it only every 10K? Is it every 20, 30, 100K? I don't know. I did see a tweet today that was like 45K feels low. Uh, and I think it's because, you know, last cycle we hit 69K and that was pretty dope. And we've been bouncing around 45K for a little bit. But I do think people need to be grateful that we're back into the 40s. And it doesn't seem like we're really breaking past that. I saw a lot of bearish takes saying we're going back to 32K or the meme take that we're going back to 12K. It's that didn't surpri- seem to happen. It's surprising how how like it felt like the price you know collapsed after the ETF news, but really it didn't do a whole lot. If it's the 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 neutral take to the ETF was that Bitcoin price just kind of floundered in the same place it's been for a long time. And here we are again. So kind of funny how like it was kind of a non-event on the pricing standpoint. Really was. Okay, and we'll get to that here before we go into some mining news. So if you're watching this on Coindesk TV or in the Blockspace YouTube channel, both of which you should go check out. If you're just listening on audio, you can take a look at this nice chart. I found this guy on Twitter the other day, Sins Bitguide. I think he runs a website called like bitguide.io or something like that. And he's been putting out some pretty good little charts, pretty simple ones looking at ETF flows. And you can see from the beginning of the ETF launches in mid-January, 
that you know there was a lot of pressure, sell pressure from GPTC. GPTC was just dumping. I think like over six billion in volume uh, or six billion of assets just kind of left GPTC. And these other ETFs were kind of fighting back against that. And now we've gotten past the point of net outflows. Uh, so from this chart here, we had about 18 days of trading. Uh, and I'd say about half of those days were net outflows because of GPTC. And then now we're back into net inflows. There's a nice correlation. This guy also shows in another chart where it's Bitcoin price compared to flows. So outflows or inflows. And it does seem like this is kind of taking the rain. Last thought on this before I throw it to Matt, because I feel like you might have some insights on this since you're you know, analyzing the data at CoinShares for us, is that these ETFs now actually have more Bitcoin in total between like all nine or 11 or whatever there is of them than great than uh, MicroStrategy has. So there's a lot of Bitcoin now in these ETFs. Yeah, uh, this past week, there was almost as much inflows into the uh, iBit product um, than there was outflows of GBTC, which I think is is pretty significant, right? And we talked about a couple of weeks ago how there was outside of the U.S. markets, products that are listed in, in Europe and Canada and, and other places, um, we're seeing a lot of outflows, um, possibly trying to take advantage of the fee environment in the United States and, and coming into the newer products there. Uh, and we've seen that kind of like subside. So that's kind of a positive development in this as well. Also, a kind of news event that happened is Fidelity and some of their discretionary portfolios have added a sort of Bitcoin percentage allocation. So that might be growing kind of their side of things. And so, I mean, more the what what do these ETFs do, right? They open access. And if as they get more and more included in um, investor portfolios, you get more passive flow, kind of just like dumb money entering Bitcoin. And I mean, that's that's kind of like what I think the major hype was about this event. Love it. Okay, let's go to some mining news, which is you know the portion of the show that is probably the most important for us since we are a mining news show. And let's talk about HUD-8, leadership change, Chinese Bitcoin miners going to the Horn of Africa, East Africa. And then lastly, a lovely article from our friend Charlie talking about the emergency information collection by the IEA, EIA, quite the acronym. Let's go first to this article it's actually just a press release from Hut 8 announcing that their CEO, Jamie Leverton, was dismissed and replaced by Asher Gnut, who was formerly the president at US Bitcoin. US Bitcoin and Hut 8 closed their merger just a few weeks ago. That merger had been in the works for over a year at that point before it closed, uh, went successfully. And Jamie, it seems, has now moved on. Uh, I will not get into speculation about like why, but the language just says she departed. The board decided to make a transition. It does seem like it was mutual, like after the merge, that there was going to be a transition of leadership associated with it. Uh, but we do not have a comment from her or from the HUD-8 team past what we see in this pr press release. So we will not go further down that. Now, what does this mean for HUD-8 is probably the biggest question since there's, you know, there's a lot of shareholders out there and there's also a lot of people tied up in this from the Celsius creditor situation, which we had a great podcast about that last week. So if you missed that, go check that out. What does this mean for HUD-8? In the immediate term, it doesn't look amazing. They have one of the most expensive fleets out there, uh, lowest efficiencies. They do have like a lot of energy under management, but it's unclear what the 
forward progress or future outlook looks like for that energy. Uh, there recently was a short report by a small firm called J Capital that took issue with the HUT8 and US Bitcoin merger. So I do think that this is, you know, this is a stock to watch. It's looking a little weak at the moment. Uh, that being said, they do have a lot of assets under management. And if Bitcoin rips, maybe things go well. Charlie, Matt, any thoughts on this one? USBTC bought a lot over the bear. They acquired a lot and looks like they also acquired a new CEO position. So I was kind of wondering who was going to take the reins after the merge. And it looks like it's Asher. Yeah, this is the, I guess, the second like leadership change amongst public listed companies in the last couple months. I know Argo also made a switch towards the end of last year. So, I mean, halvings around the corner. Sometimes new strategies come around the halving. Uh, and that sometimes means new leadership. I wish Jamie the best, um, and we'll see how this plays out. And congrats to Asher. He has been on the show twice before. Uh, great podcast with him, about mostly about Celsius stuff. U.S. Bitcoin is the manager for the Celsius mining assets, which is now a company called Ionic or Iconic. Ionic. Or Ionic. So many names involved in the whole U.S. Bitcoin HUD-8 merger there. In the competitive world of Bitcoin mining, one name stands out, CleanSpark, America's Bitcoin miner. At CleanSpark, efficiency isn't just a goal, it's our standard. Our sophisticated facilities are built and led by expert teams who care about Bitcoin and the communities we work in. Scale, we've mastered it. Our large-scale operations have set us apart in the industry as examples of community-oriented building. Our track record speaks for itself. We navigate the complexities of the new economy with precision and with skill, continuously achieving operational milestones. Curious about how we do it? We invite you to discover the story behind CleanSpark's success at cleanspark.com. This is a really fun story. And I, I love this one because we get to go over to East Africa and talk about Bitcoin mining. So this was originally published, I think, in like the American version of Bloomberg, but we're reading on the Canadian version of Bloomberg, which apparently does not have a paywall. Uh, Chinese Bitcoin miners find a new crypto haven in Ethiopia. Quote, last spring, cargo containers began appearing near electricity substations connected to the recently built Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam, Africa's largest. Inside were stacks of powerful, energy-guzzling computers. It was a telltale sign that Chinese Bitcoin miners, having bounced from country to country in search of cheap power and benign regulations since Beijing cast them out two years before, had arrived in the Horn of Africa. Ooh. I think this story could be like a little book, like a little audio book. That's my take on it. Do you guys know much about East Africa mining? The most I know about this is from our friends at Gridless, which have also been on the show. Yeah, I mean, the Gridless story is probably very different from this. Gridless is small, containerized, like localized, off-grid stuff, whereas this would be more integrated, bootstrapping mega mines alongside East African infrastructure, I understand. I mean, this is the narrative a lot of the Bitcoiners like to say. Which, you know, We like to tell the story of this being a mechanism to bootstrap these emerging economies. Um, it's also funny, you know, you know, you saw the, the China exodus. You saw them try to go to Kazakhstan. Not a lot of luck there. A lot of that, that country really pushed a lot of them back out. We saw a lot of the Chinese miners try to develop stuff in the United States with mixed success. 
and um, Africa, it's it's regionally closer, and you already have. Again, I'm a little out of my league here, but I know that the Chinese Belt and Road Initiative has been prioritizing overall African development. So maybe there's some synergy there. Um, I'm curious to see how it goes. More hash rate in more places is better, in my opinion. Yeah, speaking on that synergy in the article, it it kind of notes that uh, Chinese companies were really involved in building out this kind of $4.8 billion dam that's in Ethiopia, where a lot of this hydropower is coming from. And I mean, to your point before, there was a lot of uh, kind of tensions and miners really got pushed out of Kazakhstan and kind of like Iran as well from the government, while seemingly at first it seemed to be like a welcoming place. So I guess like the risk is that that could very easily also happen in Ethiopia, right, where the government has these types of controls. But, you know, you want to get those sweet, sweet sats, right, and earn them for cheap. The the substation, uh, I think, like electricity draw price was like around three cents per kilowatt hour. I mean, that's killer. So maybe the risk is worth the reward. We'll have to we'll have to see. Yeah, a few quotes in there from friends of the show, like Ethan Barron and Yara Melarud talking about like how energy is really cheap over there comparative to Texas. It's about the same price, but Texas, because it has a, I almost said Prexus, price and Texas together. Uh, embarrassing. Texas has like wild energy swings, right? Where we saw that even a few weeks ago. We did a show on that, talking about how like prices go up because it gets really cold, it gets really hot. And some of these other places around the world don't have that. And I think that's like the pressing thing that a lot of Bitcoin miners like to tell people out there who are unfamiliar with mining. Miners go to cheap energy. It's not about destroying the planet. It's about finding cheap energy. And oftentimes, hydro or renewable energy is the cheapest. Which brings us to our next story, an amazing transition for myself. Charlie, take this one away. Give us the background. You wrote this article for Bitcoin Magazine. A long, well-written piece, I'll say. Thanks. You know, I spend a lot of time looking at ordinals, but occasionally I get handed the go do something about this new EIA demand. That's what I did. I teamed up with some other folks from the Oklahoma Bitcoin Association, notably Storm, and then our advisor, Micah, and then at, on the Luxor side, brought Colin in, who's our head of research at Hashrate Index. So the EIA, Energy Information Administration, they or whatever, I go into it in the article. There is an emergency uh, data collection survey, which uh, basically accelerates all these timelines uh, of, over the energy use and risk to the grid that Bitcoin miners might uh, create uh, domestically. And um, this is not outside the purview for the EIA. Um, these, you know, they do these kind of energy studies across the United States. Um, what is notable about this is that this was kind of this is pushed through uh, reducing a comment period and any kind of coordination period um, under the idea that it's an emergency because these could be a risk to the grid or to energy markets. And the irony, and I kind of we kind of begin this article with this scenario, is that this emergency memo was written and crafted and released at the very time that we saw empirically demonstrated these uh, Bitcoin miners synergized with the Texas grid specifically during that giant winter storm in January, where we saw the, the grid perform very well. Now, is it because they're altruistic or because they are um, price responsive? I think that's less important than the fact that they are co that they are working with the grid and grid planners. And so we go into um, 
kind of the context for this uh, emergency order, contrast it with like a normal procedure, and is this justified? Um, what are some mischaracterizations? And overall, I think it is, um, again, just the latest thing in whatever this current administration uh, is doing, targeting uh, our industry. I, the way the questions are formed, the way this is presented does not give me hope and makes me very skeptical. This information is going to be used in a way to, that actually seeks to evaluate the industry as opposed to one which I think it is, which is one which I think is probably going to be used kind of as a um, more of a hit piece against the industry. So we've seen a couple uh, kind of industry responses from the Texas Blockchain Commission. They've come out very strongly against this um, with some very strong language. And then I think uh, another kind of side of the coin is the Satoshi Action Fund who says, this is not the hill to die on. Let's prioritize proactive, transparent reporting. Um, This is only, this is less than a week old. I think this could play out in a number of ways, but we only have 30 days until the end of this study. And um, so the letters are already going out to select Bitcoin miners across the country. Eventually, most miners across the country will have to um, report in some capacity, at least it appears. Um, I personally am quite negative about this. I don't like this. I don't think it's done right. I'm not very optimistic about it. But that's we're no we're no strangers to this uh, scenario in Bitcoin mining. We're used to, we are quite familiar with the uh, various bureaucracy and uh, government authorities not really wanting to educate or come to the table and uh, cooperate with us. So, Charlie, did you get a letter yet? No, only mine? one. Only one mine in Oklahoma is on the list, and it's not one of mine. I feel like it's larger. So yeah, a few questions we can pull out of this. One, are other industries targeted like this? Other industries can be asked, but typically not within 90 days and typically not with a 10,000 per day fine if you don't agree to give this information immediately. And two, why is it happening so near the happening? And why is it happening like right now in a a political year and like an election year? Uh, That's another great question. And then three, why, why is this not going out to other similar industries like in the AI game that also use massive amounts of energy? So I think Bitcoin miners specifically here have a very good case to pull that they are being targeted and selected by this sub-agency. And they're not given like a lot of leeway, right? Like I am waiting for one of these larger miners to file some sort of lawsuit or go to a judge and try to get like an injunction against this, but I haven't seen anything yet. Uh, I do think that this is timed and it does look a little dangerous in the sense that who knows who exactly they're pulling this information out for, right? Like maybe they just sent these letters to everyone that's carbon heavy in terms of mining Bitcoin and not to people who mine renewables. And then they can pull that, that energy information out and skew the data uh, it just is not a good look, and it's it seems very targeted by the EIA. Like you said, there's a few good groups out there, Texas Blockchain Council and others pushing against this, but I don't know if there's enough weight to stop this, given that there's not really a comment period, and there's a huge fine if you don't send your information back. So we're all pretty much in alignment on this one. I will say, right, when I first saw this headline, and if you're listening, maybe this is the first time you're hearing about this too, my initial reaction wasn't that this was there was anything kind of malicious about this. Um, the EIA publishes a lot of data that's helpful, and so I thought, oh, maybe they're 
kind of being forward thinking and they're just trying to get up on top of this mining stuff, right? Um, but it's pretty clear when you look at the forms that they actually want people to fill out that they're not asking for aggregates. They want to know your specific longitude latitude of where your operations are. They want to know who you're getting your power from and at what percentage are you getting your power What's from? What's the seed phrase to your <laughs> mining wallet? <laughs> yeah, these supply. They want to know the exact mining fleet you're using. And so it's it's very clearly in my mind, a step too far um, and and kind of like treating the mining industry a bit different from others. So hopefully we kind of see this um, walked back or at least just uh, made less specific of what they're asking of of these miners, right? What, what information do they actually want to convey publicly? Um, and let, maybe just like we can help them uh, just get that instead of in such refined detail. That seems like an encroachment of privacy. Yeah, the uh, the normal procedure would give about ninety days for miners to talk with legislators and 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 folks in the you know legislative and bureaucratic uh, world to kind of get our stuff together. And this emergency order basically just says there's no comment period. Um, just go straight to reporting. Go. Historically, this has really only been used in cases of war and natural disaster. I don't see any of those happening for the in the domestic Bitcoin mining industry. So I got to wonder what's going on here. I mean, I think Nate Carter's stuff from last year, Operation Chokepoint 2.0 fits into this somewhat. That was obviously more on the banking side, but he's put a lot of tweets out about like, you know, there's been uh, intensive political effort to identify and segregate Bitcoin miners from energy markets and kind of like keep calling them out in mainstream press. And there hasn't really been that for AI, but now AI is growing in scope. Seems like Bitcoin mining is a little bit ahead of that. So it's Bitcoin mining today, maybe AI and those things tomorrow, but also maybe not because AI industry is quite larger, quite more connected. You know, the Amazons, the Googles of the world, they have uh, far deeper benches when it comes to lobbying, when it comes to these things. I don't want to get like too deep in the zero hedge zone here, but I will say that there is just like a lot going on that looks targeted. And I'm not a big fan of it. Okay. Maybe, any uh, last thoughts? BlackRock's, maybe BlackRock's got some lobbyists on staff. Maybe they'll throw <laughs> some at this effort. I don't, we'll see. I, what, are, what are these ETFs good for? I don't know. They, they, they funded Bitcoin so they can buy it. Now they got to fund mining so they can buy it. Oh, wait, they, they do kind of have deep mining exposure as well. So they do. They, they do. do. Uh, we put a tweet out about BlackRock mining Bitcoin in the future on the mining pod handle. And I got some interesting DMs from that one. But we'll leave that there and go over to the last topic for the day, which is becoming like a, a common thing for us, Ordinal's Corner. Charlie, I'm going to throw it over to you. Uh, a certain rapper has jumped onto the inscription bandwagon. If you're gang, watching. Gang. Uh, French Montana has tweeted a cat, a quantum cat. It's kind of the premier collection from the Taproot Wizards, who are kind of the premier ordinals inscription uh, project. Um, quantum Cats is a really cool, interesting technical under the hood project and uh, brings with it an advocacy for a Bitcoin soft fork to incorporate the opcode opcat to bring more functionality to Bitcoin. Um, but rappers love it. Um, when was the last time we saw like major rappers tweet NFTs? Like this gives me 2021, maybe late 2022 vibes. Um, 
I'm excited. This time I got to front run French Montana. So that's, you know, my main takeaway. I'm excited to see his cat transform because the cool thing about these cats is that the Tappert Wizards team put a lot of effort into, uh, I think it's like the recursive elements of these cats, Charlie, or is it a different phrase? They're recursive, but a lot of the different recursive layers have yet to be revealed. That's a really interesting story. You should dive into that rabbit hole. Cat hole. Maybe, maybe we'll do it on a different show. <laughs> and to the the- this podcast, we'll just talk about how celebrities are now implicitly voting for BIPs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I want to. Montana is pro software. Who would have thought? I want a Drake song about CTV. So good. Okay, yeah. well, you talked about Opcat, so I will shill the other podcast we just launched, Bitcoin Season Two. Colin Harper from Luxor and I jumped on the horn a few, about a week ago, maybe. Uh, if you go to the Blockspace Media YouTube channel or go to the Blockspace podcast network on spotify you'll find that episode and we talk about opsi tv opcat and bitcoin consensus which is coming around to be a, an important topic again we did not talk about the cats or french montana in that show it's a little more buttoned up and dev talk but if you're interested in learning about opcat that would be the place to go okay cats anything until next week you want to get off your mind will we see a cat evolve in the next week who knows? Will which rappers will tweet about it? We had FaZe Banks tweet about it. I don't know if you know the FaZe clan. They're like a big esports. But like, yeah, ordinals up and to the right. The more we talk about inscriptions and ordinals and rappers and cats, we're just gonna lose all the miners. They're gonna turn off the you, podcast early. We did miners are surprisingly degen. We did mining first. We did. Like, right? We did do mining first. It's important for miners to know about this. It's where all the transaction fees are coming from. Okay, we'll close up shop. Thank you for listening to the show, either on the Mining Pod feed or on the Coindesk Podcast Network. If you enjoyed it on either of those, please give us a review. You can click up on Spotify or Apple and give us a five-star that helps other miners or people in Bitcoin find this content. Or if you're watching on YouTube, give us a subscribe. It also helps as well. Charlie, Matt, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for tuning in.